found The Farcast, the weekly podcast in its sixth season of helping you understand what's going on in Wall Street, Washington, and the world. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to The Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thanks so much for joining us again this week. It is the last day of August. We're recording here, ladies and gentlemen, the 31st day of August, one month left from today in the third quarter of 2023. There went most of 2023. Three months left. Uh, Okay, here we go. Or at least four months left. One month left here in this quarter, and then we get into that end of the year. Usually a decent time when we get past September, but we shall see this year. It's been rocky, and the folks who have been looking for clouds and storms have been wrong. They've been disappointed. If you've been a storm chaser, if you've been out on the runway waiting to fly into the hurricane, hope you hit Idella because that's been about it. Wall Street hasn't had storms. It was calm in Manhattan yesterday. My first guest, uh, your favorite, Kenny Polcari, spent three hours with Maria Bartiromo on the set, on the set, three hours with Maria Bartiromo. Uh, He is He is the new poster child of Fox Business, by the way, which is saying something, ladies and gentlemen, because he's not new anywhere else. Nothing new about Kenny, I promise. (laughs) But he's new to Fox and new to Fox. And when I tell you he fits their demographic, oh, baby. So uh, on with Maria and things were calm and it was a good day. Basically on Wall Street yesterday, everything was up. The risk trade was on. The risk trade has been on all year. Ladies and gentlemen, risk on all year, NASDAQ up, Dow and S&P, meh, but okay. I mean, uh, if you didn't own the Magnificent Seven, the Spectacular Seven, you're up 7%. Uh, It's not a bad year, 7%, unless you're looking at everything else up 17%. Bonds have rallied big time. We were 430 a week ago. We are now 409 on the Treasury. And by the way, the whole yield curve is coming down in unison. We saw, uh, I was surprised, we saw that six-month treasury, which has been the high point for a long time in terms of yield, got up to over 560 right after Jackson Hole. Right after Jackson Hole got up to 560, it's back down to 553, still higher a bit than it was in terms of yield, lower. But uh, that short term after Jackson Hole, right after Jay Powell's speech, indicated a little bit higher on the short term. Uh, for markets expectations. 10-year treasuries 409 this morning. Things are low. Yield curve remains inverted. Um, And we're still at this point where the people who say, I have all this data that 100% of the time is predicted recession are beginning to say, well, hell, I don't know why we haven't seen one, so maybe I'm wrong. And they're giving up on it saying, well, maybe we'll get a soft landing or maybe something else is happening because what I've expected to happen just hasn't happened for so long. I'm going to quit talking about it. Not sure that that's the right idea, but let's see what Kenny Polcari says. Kenny, good morning. How are you, Mike? I'm great, pal. I'm doing great. Great job with Maria yesterday. Yeah. That's the way he says it, ladies and gentlemen. Maria. Maria. Yeah. No. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that was good. We're gonna we're 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 gonna have elocution lessons but a little bit elocution. later. Later you know on, what? we're gonna do that later on. Where, you know, we <laughs> turn on back into one, one syllable word. You know, you get you... these from Boston and they do two syllables on, you know, no, it's one syllable. Kenny, 
What? Tell me, we got markets that are still hovering near new highs. Nobody cared about Jackson Hole. Right. Nothing. No, that was a nothing burger. Uh, no, it was a nothing was burger. Not. And I'm not. I don't think you and I are, are either one of us are surprised. I think we talked about that because I, I, he did exactly what I expected. He just left the door open. He rode the fence. He stayed a little bit, you know, right of center. He, but while leaving the door open, which is what he's been saying all along, uh, continued to say he was data dependent. So there's nothing new there. So I wasn't really blown away. And by the way, Christine Lagarde and Andy Bailey, who's the Bank of England governor, and she's the ECB president, you know, they continued to talk about what's going on in their countries and inflation and where they're going. So there was nothing new anywhere, as far as I was concerned, in terms of what we were going to hear from these major central banks, right? But that's a win. That's a big win for the Fed, right? They got through their home meetings and they didn't shove markets one way or the other. Correct. That's a win for the Fed. They don't they don't want to have dramatic market responses to what they're doing. If they can keep markets moving, sort of holding everything together and continue to enact policy in the direction they want, man, they're they're heroes. I agree. And so I think that was exactly what we saw is exactly what he wanted. Although I will say, I do think uh, that Jay Powell would wants to see the market back off a little bit. I think that he thinks it's still a little bit frothy, but look, it is what it is. Um, and, and we could talk about that all. I think August was a very interesting month, right? We had difficulties the first part of the month. Um, and then we had this this rally into the month end rally, which is window dressing in my mind going into the end of the month. It's also a big vacation month, both in Europe and here. There's less people at their trading desks. So the, the buys and sells and stop orders that are below and above the market. So there's less kind of uh, uh, inline volume, which allows for exaggerated moves, which is kind of what I think it feels like. The surge up that we've had over the last week and a half, to me, just feels a little bit exaggerated. And I think once we get into September that, you know, when everyone's back at their desk and people start really focusing on what this means and how's the data and is it going to, is it a crack in the foundation or is it now a, a structural crack in the foundation? And I think that's going to be part of the conversation going forward. Well, okay. So let's look because August, uh, when you look at August numbers, these were kind of surprising to me. I mean, you felt the pullback at the beginning of August, and you want to say, well, was that it? Because the S&P and Dow were about, down about 1%. NASDAQ was down 2%. It doesn't really feel like a down month because those numbers are not big numbers. But, I mean, was that the pullback? Was that no, what but, we've been talking about? No, but wait a minute. Let's make sure you and I are on the right page. Over the course of the month, the NASDAQ sold off nearly 8.5% from the high. I got it. it. Was, right? And the Dow... Yeah. The That's Dow right. was down about three and a half, and the S and P was down clearly closer to six, I think. Right, right. right. But that's how much you do about nothing. The whole uh, the whole month sort of went down and wiped itself out. Was uh, that enough of a correction to satisfy no. what you? No, I, I don't think it is. Right, I think no. that I don't think it is. And not, while I don't, I don't mean that to sound like I think there's a crash coming, but I think there's going to be a little bit more. There's going to be a little more shaking the branches. There's going to be a little bit more pressure to the downside. Uh, before I'm convinced, right? I suspected, and I said this earlier on, that I would not have been surprised to see the NASDAQ kind of in the 10 to 12% correction range while the S&P kissed, you know, just under 10%, almost in correction territory, but just right there, right? And we we almost got there, but we didn't. And suddenly they took it right back up. Look, the, the month is almost flat, right? I think the S&P is down just 1% as of yeah, today. It's flat. That's, yeah, and the that's NASDAQ flat. is down just 2% as of today. And that may change, right? We could see if this market rallies again, if futures are up, 
and they take it because it's the last day of the trading month. So there's a little bit of that marking period. It's not the last day of the quarter. September will be the last day of the quarter. This is, though, the last day of the trading month. So you could have a little bit more of this, you know, window dressing, people looking for opportunity. You know, when you've gone uh, uh, really uh, uh, a whole hurricane season without a hurricane, you you kind of say, hmm, maybe next season we're due. And if you go two seasons without a hurricane, that third one, just batten everything down while the sun's still shining because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So, and and you might be getting my analogy here. See what I'm doing, folks? There's a hurricane in the news. People are talking about hurricanes. So I went with the hurricane. Well, yeah, but wait, but the hurricane is a longer hurricane. It turned, it came as a hurricane, and then it and then it tweaked out as a as a tropical storm, which is very interesting because August felt parts of early August did feel like the hurricane was coming, and then how did it end? And then it just is kind of a thunderstorm, right? As, this uh, is why Polcari and I get along so well, and we're good on TV together. <laughs> uh, this is why. I, I I take us off on a stupid direction and he makes it dumber. This is good, you see? This, I, I I go, this is dumb and dumber at work. Okay, now look. Okay, now look. Um, we, we have been a long time, my point here is we have been a long time, a long time without any serious market correction. There hasn't been a time since January, probably last fall, where any investors looked up and go, oh God, I'm really worried about this. Uh, it's all been fine. You might have been worried, but the market didn't support your worry. There was no, no bottom dropping out. There's been no turbulence on the flight where you dropped 10 feet and went, oh, and everybody on the plane goes, oh, we haven't had an oh, no, oh. There's your title for today, Harry. No, uh, I don't know how you spell that. You know, I'll leave that to you. But okay, economic data are slowing. Yeah. ADP job growth was lower. USP. Yeah. Uh, being revised down 2.4% pace for the last month. 2.4% is still pretty good growth, but it's not hugely inflationary. Right. I mean, we're still coming to this looks like a soft landing, Kenny. What do I don't, it looks like we're coming in for a landing because remember even a couple of weeks ago, there were people on TV going, there may be no landing. No, I think there's still going to be a landing. I don't think it's going to be a crash, but I don't think it's going to be soft either. I think we are in for a little bit of a bumpy road. Now, yesterday's data makes it sound, makes it feel like, no, maybe not. Maybe it's going to be soft. I'm still in the camp though that I think you're going to see a sudden shift in the data. Uh, I think the recession is coming at the end of this year. Uh, and so therefore, I think it's going to be a little bit bumpy. I don't think it's going to be a disaster, but I don't think it's going to be soft, right? You know, it's hard to find, it's hard to find data. Uh, you, you find data to support that there is going to be a slowdown. When the slowdown is going to be, that's always kind of impossible to guess. But I continue, based on my experience, based on my experience, my decades doing this. Decades, that's yes. plural, everyone, just so you understand. Times four really is what that is. Decades doing doing this. Ignore the man behind the curtain. Uh, so when when you see that this has been the normal experience, you still think you're going to have a pullback in here. And everybody, don't listen. You you follow your experience and you follow your intuition and you say this. I, I've I've gotten uh, beaten up over the years, time after time, and this is what happens. And I've gotten beaten up even more when I've ignored that experience and intuition. So I agree with Kenny. You got two very experienced guys here telling you, this is what we see. Don't ignore it yet. Kenny, we're almost out of time. Talk to me about stocks and markets and valuations and where you go and how you stay safe through this. And let me tell you one thing. You stay safe 
based on your emotional preparedness. Correct. You stay Don't safe. be emotional. Don't be emotional. So don't get scared and don't say, oh, my God, I missed this. And they were right. right. Now we're going into recession and I've got to change it. No, you don't. Right. Recessions happen. All of these bad things happen. So, Kenny, talk us through it. And listen, the funniest thing about that is here I am an Italian kid from Boston telling people don't be emotional. <laughs> that, if it was emotional. That's right. been a really, really difficult lesson for me over the years is not to be emotional because you know me. I'm very emotional. I'm very demonstrative. But one way or the other, when it comes to stocks, to your point, you have to you have to you have to not be emotional. Right. And don't get nervous about thinking like you're, it's running away from you. You're not your your clients, my clients, they're invested. So they're participating. If the market's up, they're invested. If the market comes in, it provides them an opportunity. But again, just as we move into this, the fall season of uh, of 2023, I would look at some of the some of the underperforming sectors that will also offer stability. So maybe it's industrials. It's certainly the banks. Some of the banks I think are very attractive. Um, I even think in healthcare, while it's boring, it's big. They're good dividend payers. They're mega cap names, and you and you'll find some uh, stability in there. I'm certainly not chasing tech up here. I own it, but I'm going to let it ride. I'm not chasing it. Um, and I'm not chasing communications. That's up another 35%, right? Uh, so I'm, I'm very opportunistic on taking new money uh, and putting it to work in what I view as sectors that will not only provide shelter in a storm, but will also help balance out the portfolio, which is something you and I talk about all the time and something you do on behalf of your clients and I do on behalf of mine. So you, can, you don't venture out to the thin branches. You stay right. close to the tree trunk. Uh, whether you're making money or not, you don't reach now. And uh, it's like getting a bad haircut. Nobody will notice over time unless you try to fix it yourself. And then all the other <laughs> kids are going to be pointing at you and laughing their asses off. Okay, uh, Kenny, one final thing. We're wishing uh, all the best and prayers for Mitch McConnell for whatever's happening to him. There's something clearly going on. Right. Question, question for you. Bill Clinton. Yeah. Have you seen him lately? Have you seen him? I have not seen him lately. The former president. Uh, looks old. I mean, yeah. he, he really, he really looks old. Do you know? Do you know that he is four years younger than Mitch McConnell? He is three years younger than Joe Biden, and he is two months younger than Donald Trump. Just throwing it out there. How would you feel about Bill Clinton's age if he said, "I want to run for president uh, again"? I, I, well, you know, when you say, "Have I seen him recently?" I probably ha I haven't seen him so recently. But the last time I saw him, he looks—he even looks frail, right? He's lost a lot of weight. Yes. He looks frail. I think. Listen, after this Mitch McConnell thing, and I agree with you. I only wish the guy the best. I wish nothing bad on him. But at some point, somebody—his wife, the doctor, voters—have to say. We, you know, you can't do this anymore. It's just, it's, it's not healthy. It's not good hey, for the country. It's not good for you. The country has to say this. The Look country at, has to say it. The country has to say this. Okay, Jack Berugi and I can see is on the screen and he's muted and everything. I, yeah. if, Jack, if you can hear us and turn on, because I gotta, I, I want to yeah. ask a question right now. So I Kenny, love Jack. Jack, how are I you? Love Jack. I'm right here. I'm doing great. Kenny, how you doing? Michael, All how right. are you? All right, here's the deal. Jack, Kenny, and I are the same age, ladies and gentlemen. We're all just north of 60 years old just north you jack are you north of 62 are you i am 62 62 uh, jack i'm 62 we, Wait, we, we, jack, i think i think 62. the three the three of us i believe are all within a couple months of one another right, i was yeah. i was march 62 yeah Ma yeah i was march 29th of 61 i was yes 61. i was 60 i was 61 also so yeah. march what i was march 9th 
Oh, March 9th. Oh, so, oh, you're, so you're, you're the, the oldest one in the group. There I'm, April, I'm April 24th in, in, in 61. So, right. okay, guys, let's talk about this for a second. Uh, and I know we're over time and I'm sorry, but but this is actually, uh, if you if I told you that you were going to be the president tomorrow, that you had to walk into the Oval Office and you were going to be working seven to seven, that you were going to have the most consequential decisions in the world on your desk on a daily basis, how would you feel in terms of your competency uh, and, and your ability to think as quickly as you thought when you were 45? And what are the differences? And what do you think about how we're going to feel 20 years from now? Well, Jack, you start. I'll give you a good analogy, Michael. You saw me play golf after a 25-year hiatus, all right? <laughs> and it was probably one of the most painful experiences you went through, okay? <laughs> because what happens is your body changes when you get older. And, and for, for those of you that don't know, I quit for love, roughly 25 years. I picked it up, and, and Michael was very, very nice and, and invited me to play with him. But the reality is that, that you get old. Your mind gets old. Your body gets old. I haven't worked that hard the, the way you just described for probably right. at least 10 or 15 years. Look, when I get to 80, I picture myself playing with my grandchildren, uh, traveling, hopefully with my wife, hopefully, you know, being healthy, uh, you know, you know, God willing, I, I get to see the world by then. That, that's really what I want to do. You have a purpose, you know, right. instead of going out there and, and, and being, you know, somebody who's 90 years old in a wheelchair uh, right. that is being told what to do. This is getting to be ridiculous. Right. You know, and, and, and I'll throw Mitch McConnell in there too. Listen, you know, it, it was it's hard watching him have these petty mall seizures up there and freeze up. Okay, this is a this is a man who's making important decisions for us. So well, yeah. that's even more concerning because he's making important decisions. Look, Diane Feinstein, the same thing. And I wish Absolutely. her no ill will, but have you seen her lately? What is got you? So when are the voters going to say, look, there's we an age, right? Done. We all agree there's an age where, look, if you had <laughs> us do it right now, given our experience, okay, given your experience as executives for 60 years, you actually have the wherewithal. I don't have the political experience to know how to get stuff through, done through Washington. I hope I never learn how <laughs> what we'll have to do. But in terms of executive decision, can I continue to be CEO of a of a significant company, do I no. have that? You know, no, at, no, and not at, at no, no. sixty, he, I can do it. Sixty, I could do it. Do I, yeah. want Michael? I, 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 I'm in a handful. I'm, I'm in a handful of startups right now. Here's yeah. the way it goes: the thirty-year-olds and the forty-year-olds run the world. Yes. They're, okay. The sixty-year-olds are the advisors. Right. They're yes. the ones that sit back. They are the elders. They sit right. back with their wisdom and they pass it on to the CEO and those that are running. That's where we are at our age. That's the way it works. That's the way yeah. it should be. I've I've chosen to be basically the role of chairman, which is what I do. And I'm mm -hmm. I'm involved every day, but I'm not involved seven to seven anymore. I did seven to seven for years. Kenny, you did too. Kenny's still up awful early, Jack, but no, I'm <laughs> I'm not doing that. I'm available seven to seven. But I'm yeah. not I'm not I'm not doing that. And when we talk about what we're going to do at 80, we have to be a little bit careful. Life expectancy for a male in the United States is 77.28 years, 77.28 years. That's how old Bill Clinton is right now. That's yeah. how old Donald Trump is right now. The right. other guys, if if these other people were milk cartons in your refrigerator, you'd throw them out. <laughs> <laughs> they're, past, they're past their due date. 
It's not that there are pictures on the milk carton. The milk carton's done. You're not going to drink that milk. It's over. It's. I over. think I'm going to. I think I'm going to use that as the tweet today. If, the, uh, if these guys are a milk carton, you throw them out. Yes. Refrigerator. You saw the date on the milk carton. You throw it out. And but not us. We're going to elect him president. That carton right. of milk is going to become president of the United States. <laughs> well, well, it's, not, it's not even a carton of milk. It's an old bottle of milk. I mean, yeah. you know, that, that was delivered by a milkman. Okay. Yeah. That, that, right. That tells you something. <laughs> right. Left left in the milk box on the back porch. That's right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What could possibly go wrong with this play? Uh, Kenny Bocari is the head of Case Capital Advisors, our great friend on the forecast. Kenny, thanks. We'll talk to you soon. We're going to go right to Jack Perugian. We're sliding, sliding into second on this one. Take care, Kenny. It's all yeah. See you, Jack. Thank you. And, and now I don't. Now I feel like a young kid. I'm in the middle of the three of us. Uh, in the middle, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, as as the child here, and but I mean, just think about what's going on in Washington D.C. for all the dysfunction. Yeah. For all the dysfunction. And don't think that there isn't dementia on Capitol Hill. There is. It's just a dementia. because of the age of folks. And 77 and a quarter years is life expectancy. Don't forget that when you hear what these folks want to do three years after the expiration date. I mean, there's a time when you say <laughs> basta, Kenny. Basta. Basta. All right, Basta. look, I got to go. Jack, have a great day. Mike, it's always a pleasure. Harry, I love you. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you for joining us this week on the Farcast. Now it's time for political analyst Dan Mahaffey and your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back to the Farcast. It's a travel week for Michael, and uh, his logistics have gotten a little tied up. So this is uh, Harry Jennings, your producer, and I'm going to be sitting in, uh, sitting in with him. And I'm sure that he's going to be uh, upset that he's missing the segment because not only do we have uh, our our eminent senior political analyst, that Dan Mahaffey, that uh, that we also have a bonus that's sitting in the uh, in a car in a parking lot in an undisclosed location somewhere on the west coast of the United States, is Joshua Huminski, uh, another fan favorite and, uh, and somewhat regular uh, guest on the uh, on the forecast. But Dan, glad to have you with us. Uh, glad your travels have allowed you to uh, allowed you to be with us. So let's uh, let's start with China today. Uh, Secretary Ramond that she uh, went to uh, went to China this uh, this week and. I have heard nothing but positives coming from either side. Was was there any substance to the meeting, or was this just a warm and fuzzy, and everybody feels a little more warmer and fuzzier now? Look, I think after the balloon incident, the Biden administration has sent over a series of officials. We saw Secretary Yellen, uh, uh, John Kerry as climate advisor, uh, Blinken as well on the diplomatic front, and now Raimondo, Secretary Raimondo over there from the Commerce Department. Uh, and it's really, again, efforts to put a floor under some of these trade disputes, as well as there are two audiences, I feel, for this visit. One was, of course, the Chinese and trying to find a way to mm -hmm. address the economic tensions, but also American industry, I think, was another important constituency because we've had these restrictions, this whole rollout of things like outbound investment review, crackdowns on, of course, semiconductor investment, other export controls, things of that nature. And as a result, the business community has been wondering, 
what is really the the limit of as we've talked and it's uh, the national security advisor Jake Sullivan has called it the the small yard high fence approach so that a certain number of small technologies a small subset of technologies related to national security remain protected but you don't disrupt the broader US China economic relationship and i think that's one reassuring to industry to hear that there's going to be more dialogue between the US and China on perhaps you know how the US implements these export controls and perhaps lowering some of the tension around that and other critical supply chains but still at the end of the day hawks in congress are are not going to be happy about this and ultimately it becomes a question of what's the the implementation side of it uh, or do we see the chinese simply use this as another way to to draw out things or uh, buy time while they simply set up alternative supply chains or subsidiaries to get around our sanctions and restrictions. So, with the Hawks in in uh, in Congress, what's what are their what are their big and and I, I think we should make a distinction too between the Hawks in Congress and the loonies in Congress. Don't mean to uh, be disrespectful, but I seriously doubt that Marjorie Taylor Greene could find China on a map. But uh, and she has her own interests and her own. But the the hawks are a very different are a different breed. That there is a yeah, very, very real uh, and considered approach that is very hostile. Well, maybe not maybe not hostile is the word, but very skeptical of China. What are what are their uh, big objections right now to the kind of uh, entente that we're coming to in in Sino U.S. relations? Well, mostly what they're worried about are the the loopholes and the delays and a lot of the things that the Biden administration is putting forward. So there are things like outbound investment, uh, outbound investment review. There's things like this export control expansion. Uh, but these again, the the hawks are worried about the the loopholes. They're worried about our dependence on China when it comes to critical supply chains. And at the end of the day, their position is. Not so much one of, I would say, looniness, but there, and you know, for better or worse, you have to decide where you align with this. That inevitably, the U.S. and China are headed towards some type of greater conflict, and there's going to be economic pain in that rupture. So why not deal with it now on our own terms, and why not prepare? Uh, that would be mm -hmm. the sense I get of the hawkish side. But very too often, my critique of them is that. It quickly drifts over into cut off your nose to spite your face territory when you think about the depth of our uh, interconnectedness with the Chinese economy. Still, um, are the are the restrictions that are that are in place now, uh, and are are they are they meaningful? Are, are, do they have meaningful impact on uh, on American businesses, or is it a select few American businesses that have some sort of political that have political connections and political interests? I don't think it would be political ones. I think it's more what technology you're working on. Is is it AI? Is it these very advanced fields that they're worried about? Uh, but separate from that, you know, a lot of this is still, you know, it's the U.S. system. So we're, we're putting this in place, but there's going to be a year of comment uh, and exactly right-sizing the rules by Treasury for this investment, outbound investment review process anyway. And so that's kind of the 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 other critique is all these things take so long to implement and take place that they're almost a, a moot point by the time they're actually there. Or alternatively, the, the Chinese will have simply time to, to adapt. Uh, that said, it's one of those things where you almost want to grab 
uh, and we've talked about this in past episodes, uh, we don't really need to do that much right now to dissuade people from investing in China. The Chinese are doing that quite doing well it for them on so. their own. <laughs> Um, you know, when Xi Jinping is reportedly saying things that like the, the cultural revolution wasn't that bad, uh, you're not going to help investor confidence. Um, so that's the, you know, the longer run. And it's the, the I think the question of how the U.S. works with getting, you know, countries like the, the Japanese or entities like the European Union on side. Uh, maybe we don't need to be as hawkish on some of these things and just let the Chinese policies have their own impact and speak for themselves. Joshua, as a de defense expert, that's something that, uh, that you know, can you give us any insight into how much American technology uh, is moving across the Pacific that can actually be used by the, uh, uh, by the Chinese military? Is, uh, is the delays that, that are taking place in, in our export of technology are those effectively meaning anything that they get is obsolete, or is it a matter of they've hijacked it anyway? Uh, so who cares? What is the real defense uh, implications of of what we're doing and not doing right now? Well, there's a big difference between intellectual property theft and stealing the plans and being able to replicate them, and an entirely different thing of developing industrial processes to build and actually have the industrial base to do these. So it's one thing to copy an F-22. It's another to have the entire defense industrial base to build the F-22 from the ground up. Mm -hmm. What the administration is trying to do is cut off that advanced technology capacity for the longer term. Now, we know about all the hacking. We know all about the cyber thefts. We know that all the Chinese have been doing for a very long time. The idea now, now is to get ahead of these advanced technologies, the advanced chips, that ultra high end aspect that would have a pretty appreciable difference in a conflict that that's mm -hmm. true overmatch that true competitive edge now you know semiconductors are going to go into everything you're, you're seeing that kind of technology which is pretty basic by and large but it's that that one to two percent that really makes the distinct difference in terms of capability and that's where america's edge really lies and that's what the administration is trying to lock down now with a view to the future because as these technologies accelerate as these technologies expand those uh, foundational elements of semiconductors, the chips and whatnot, are going to become even that much more important. Is there a danger of of ring fencing our uh, our technology, and we we end up sort of losing our edge because not necessarily with the Chinese, but but that we're not communicating with the rest of the world and learning from them as they are learning from us? Is that is there a, a danger on that? Not just militarily, but economically. Do we do we? Do we can we ring fence ourselves into uh, into irrelevance? I think one quick thing. I know Dan's going to have something to say on this as well. I mean, if you look at like AUKUS, for example, the Australia, UK, US agreements, mm -hmm. uh, the pillar one has been all about submarines. And most people are focused into submarines. Very important. They are a game changer to have nuclear submarines for the Australians in the Indo-Pacific. Pillar two is where the technology transfer and information sharing really is the biggest deal. Because if we get that right in terms of research and development, joint investment, joint R&D amongst the Anglosphere and broadening that out to Japan, broadening it out, out to South Korea, you're having almost a, a shared pool of research and development and a uh, alliance of attitudes towards this, which can offset a lot of that potential risk from China. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I also think when you talk about the technology future and what some of these impacts are, I think the one concern is if we if we ring fence it too high or we kind of create too much of our own little club with allies, 
the danger you have is that the, the world splits into two technology camps mm-hmm. and China will increasingly be the technology provider to the global south. And that's just where growth will be. Mm-hmm. If you just look at demographics, you look at economic growth, sure, the U.S. can build a, a like-minded community with Europe, Japan, uh, Australia, other countries, South Korea. But over the long run, the growth in technology in the future is in those countries, India, Sub-Saharan Africa, Latin America. That's where the growth ultimately is. So it, the, the concern is not so much that we uh, ring fence, but it's that we just make it so hard to do business with the United States or U.S. companies that inevitably the Chinese beat us. You know, they're always going to beat us on price, but it's when they beat us on ease of doing business uh, and ultimately uh, where, you know, the, the partner country doesn't really care about values. Changing topics a little bit, but moving on to the global south, what's what's the appeal of a uh, of a random country in South Asia? Well, not necessarily even South Asia, because there may be strategic concerns there, but Central Africa. What What's the appeal of working with uh, uh, with China as opposed to the United States? Is there is it history of colonialism? Are there other social factors involved or or are there well, that- economic interests that working with a not as robust Chinese economy as we thought it was a few years ago makes sense to them rather than the the real economic engine that is the American economy right now. Part of it is that, you know, if you're in, uh, you know, a tin pot dictator in some of these countries, the Chinese aren't going to come with human rights requirements. They are going to come with development goals. They aren't going to come with any of the red tape or requirements. And they're going to come in with a, a low bid deal they're going to give you good enough technology. And oh, by the way, they might also give you the uh, state security expertise to help keep your regime uh, on top of surveillance and other tools that they can provide. Mm-hmm. So it's more of a question of how they co-opt the local elites and local politics, mm-hmm. uh, particularly too, when you have in these countries, you'll find that the grassroots, the NGOs, the environmental groups, they see the Chinese as being just as exploitative Uh, As some of the old European powers, when you think about their mercantilist approach, it's just that China has done such a good job cultivating the local elites, the power brokers, those types of things. And you see how they do it with with infrastructure, with uh, they'll build in some of these African countries, they've built them brand new uh, capital buildings and stuff like that. I'm sure, you know, well bugged Uh, all sorts (laughs) of other things, though, that they they roll out for Africa. Um, to show that they're, you know, kind of a different power. Uh, But ultimately, a lot of these countries are also realizing there's the the debt trap side of this, and they're getting wise to that. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, we are just about out of time. And I did want to ask you about one other thing. Uh, Evidently, Mitch McConnell has had another uh, has had another episode. What's what's going on with Mitch? And is is this a problem for the uh, for the Republicans as we head into what looks to be a pretty hectic September? Well, I'll leave up the particulars to the senator's doctors at this time. It's worrying to see that, of course, and uh, with the age, advanced age of so many of our political leaders, you reach this point where it's it's concerning about their ability to to perform their job. And I know for Republicans, particularly in the Senate, it's a it's a big concern because one, he's he's a influential leader. He's been there for a long time. But he's also served as a, a counterweight to a lot of the political pressure you see in the House of Representatives. If mm-hmm. there is uh, one sort of standard carer of tradition, stand, excuse me, standard bearer 
of traditional Republicanism, uh, it has been Mitch McConnell. So I think that is a power vacuum on the Hill that remains to be seen, particularly as we get into these Senate and House negotiations coming up on these spending bills. Mitch isn't there. Who's the who's at the table for the uh, for the Republican Senate? Yeah, it goes to they're known as the Johns, John Thune and John Cornyn, who are mm -hmm. the top two deputies to McConnell. And they've tended to be the establishment uh, leaders. But the thing is that uh, you have plenty of others, Tom Cotton, Ted Cruz, others who want to be uh, more provocative, have the Senate take a, a harder stance. And Mitch has kept that caucus in line, but there's not going to be uh, uh, easily replaced. Yeah. Would John Thune or John Cornyn be able to to keep the the Cottons and the Hollies and at uh, uh, all uh, in line? Uh, it's an interesting, uh, interesting question. Well, next week, we'll talk a little bit more about what what September is going to bring, because it does look like there's there's a lot that uh, Congress needs to address before we uh, before we get to uh, continuing resolution or a government shutdown. Real quick, just uh, give me a number. What do you think the chances are the government is open on uh, on October 1st? Oh, 10 percent. Oi. So actually increasing the chances of a shutdown as we uh, as yeah. we get closer. Yeah. Well, thanks, Dan. Uh, have a uh, have a great trip in California and we'll uh, we'll talk to you next week. Ladies and gentlemen, sure. we'll be back in just a uh, just a moment with fan favorite and uh, the most prescient uh, prescient guest that we have had on the forecast in the last five years. Jack Barugian, please stay with us. Michael Farr and the Farcast are proud to support Heroes, Inc. Heroes supports the spouses and children of law enforcement officers and firefighters who gave their lives in the line of duty to the greater Washington, D.C. community. Their singular goal is to honor the supreme sacrifice made by these individuals by caring for their families. Heroes' work begins within 24 hours of the tragic loss continues indefinitely. We invite you to learn more about Heroes Mission at heroes.org. We hope that you will consider supporting Heroes as they endeavor to honor those who protect us. That's heroes.org. Heroes, here for you, here for good. And now, back to the Farcast and your host, Michael Farr. Jack, we're looking at markets still near at all-time highs. We haven't had a serious correction uh, in a year. Uh, this little 8% pullback and we end the month, we go down, we come up, no pain really for too many, uh, off 1% for the S&P, 2% for the NASDAQ, and, and the big seven are still ruling the world. Tell us what you think about this market. What can we expect by year end? Are we going to have some sort of pullback? Do we go into recession? Let's let's forget about this last couple of weeks, and I'll tell you why. It is probably, as you know, one of the slowest weeks in the markets. Uh, the desks are basically being uh, held by the by the the interns, the skeleton crews. No one's really making a decision; they're just reacting to the market. I know because I've actually seen it. Uh, you know, I, I know how these last couple of weeks in August usually play out. Europe is on vacation, so so let's let's dismiss this 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 couple of last week's action. I'm not even going to look at. Let's pay attention to what happened for the first half of the year. We had a bit of a surprise there with earnings. Why? The dollar deteriorated. It went, when I was in, in 
Normandy. I went on a boys' trip back in in October of last year, I believe, and right. uh, and we did the we did the Band of Brothers tour. I was getting it was ninety seven cents to the euro at that point. Okay, it had gone up to about one twelve over the course of six months after that. Yes. All right. That yes. was a wind in the sails for earnings. And what we saw were these companies that really didn't care if the dollar was going down because their earnings were going up. They were able. Remember, these are these are international companies that are just dollar denominated and based here in the U.S. But that so all of that earnings that came in was really a surprise because of the deteriorating dollar. Now, if you think the dollar is going to continue to go down, then I think we get another pop in earnings again. I, on the other hand, think we'll probably see a reversion to the means. I think we're starting to see it now. We're starting to see the dollar stabilize a little bit. And with that, we're going to start to see, I think, revisions in earnings expectations over the course of the next couple of quarters. And with that, Michael, comes, of course, a, a probably more than likely a, a reduction of the multiple. Uh, so I do see the market hitting some resistance at these levels. All right. Um, it doesn't mean it can't get ridiculous on us here, but the, the reality is it's rich. It's trading rich, and more than likely, it's very top-heavy uh, with a lot of these stocks still uh, that have been outperforming the, the broadly-based market. I agree completely, and I think that your long, steady, disciplined investment regime will see you through this, and will see you through this in the right way. But if you try to fix it, as I was telling Kenny, you try and fix your performance and start to say, ooh, you know what? You might get away with it. You might, but uh, if you buy high, you better beware. Yeah, it, you know, it, it's hard buying something at a rich multiple. You know, there was somebody that was on television the other day that I paid attention to that was about half our age. They gave out 10 stocks that you should own for the next decade. Each one of them had a multiple over 30. And I thought to myself, you know, back in back in the way I was trained, you're not even supposed to look at those stocks. Those no, stocks if it should... has a mu if you yeah. you want to find a multiple of fourteen, that's find right. A multiple of fourteen that's got ten percent earnings growth, and you will be happy for the rest of your life. And and so so here's somebody telling us that the ten stocks that we should own have a thirty multiple. Now, what kind of growth am I going to get in those stocks? How can I justify that, especially as somebody my age? So, I, I something's wrong. There's a disconnect. All right. And, and I'm seeing it. It's it's happened. It started between the bond market and, and the equity markets. I think it's going to start manifesting itself. We're going to see it work itself into commercial real estate. These next few months are going to be very dangerous. Now, here, here's the problem that I have, Michael. I think that everybody is out there convinced that Jay Powell is, you know, this this captain at the helm. And, you know, he's he's got all the confidence in the world and he's steering the ship. But in reality, when that cockpit door opens up, he's banging on the instrument panels because he's looking at numbers he's never seen before. All right. And, and you know, you're, you're going through a storm and you don't know and have now you have no confidence in the guy. Uh, so, so that's that's really what's happening in my mind. Um, and, and let's see how it really plays out, because these next again, these next six months is probably when you're going to be the busiest because you're going to have to probably play psychologist to people. All right. As they call you up and ask you yep. what the heck is going on in the marketplace, because there's going to be some serious volatility, I think, in the next couple of months. Remember, we're entering probably the two toughest months for the market, all right? Uh, you know, September and October, and you're looking at it with the Fed 
at, at rates at the highest they've been in, in what, two decades? You're looking at, at a lot of headwinds. All right. So let's not get too comfortable here is what I would tell people. Main part of my job, Jack, is to be a psychologist. It, yeah. it really is to help people sort through their emotions and stay focused on stay focused on the numbers. I mean, that that really is the biggest part of the job. When you see people who say we need to buy these uh, very expensive stocks, their argument is that the earnings are going to be so dynamic, that are going to be so profound, yeah. so profound, so much above the average of everything else that they will justify these prices. And in fact, not only justify these very expensive prices, but drive them higher still. So they I, might I love that. I love that. And I'm going to jump in right now, Michael, and I'll tell you why. Because I actually brought that up at, when I was of that age. Of course you did. To, to people that were my age. Yeah. All right. Now. And you know who those people were? They happen to be a little older than I am now, but they were Merton Miller. They were, they were Milton Friedman. These were people that were sitting on the board of directors. Of Uncle Milty. And I was lucky enough to be able to talk with them about various things like this. Yes. And, and they, they described the period back, especially, I remember Dr. Merton Miller saying this to me when we were talking about the internet phase. Yes. And yes. It, was, it was in 1999. And he turned to me, he goes, Jack, you know what these companies are like? They're like mushrooms. They, they pop up when the sun is out. All right. All over the place. And when there's a rainfall, they die out. All right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's exactly the analogy he used. And he was right. That's if you remember correctly, the dot com bubble did exactly that. It wiped out 95 percent. Yep. Yeah. 85 percent of them went just as all of the data said they would. Yep. And then, yeah. But, you know, we don't focus on those, do we, Jack? We focus on the 15 percent. We focused on the Amazons that didn't have any earnings that was going up 30 percent in a month. Oh, yeah. And you think this doesn't make sense. It doesn't have earnings. I'm not going to own it. And everybody looks back and says, far, you're so stupid. You should have bought Amazon. If my rules don't let me buy something, if it doesn't have earnings, I don't buy it because stuff with earnings and balance sheets has saved my ass for over 30 years. And you're not going to talk me out of that because I'm going to stay safe with other people's money. I, well, why I, is that you, hard, Jack? Because people have that FOMO that, you know, they watch other people making money or better yet, you know, all you need is a one guy that's in a cab or a cab driver that tells you they bought Tesla when it came out on an IPO. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, you know, why are you still driving a cab? You know, I, yeah. I mean, really, I, that, that, that's always been my reaction when people tell me that kind of thing. But but the reality is that when we're our, we're, we're, we're watching the news every day, we're, we're watching business channels and we're paying attention to what's happening. And, you know, you're watching a market going up. And in many cases, it feels like it's melting up. All right. And everybody's going, I got to be in this market. Same with real I estate. Yep. I, same with real estate. I see the same thing with real estate. People, I got to be in. I got to. When I start to see that. And Michael, you and I know this. Something something goes wrong. There's There's got to be a reset. All right. Yes. It, you know, and, and I've seen this happen time and time again. Look, do I want it to happen? No, but it's a natural consequence of capitalism. I mean, you see a reset every now and then. And I don't know what's going to trigger it, but it just feels as if the market is kind of disconnected now and maybe on the fringes of having that reset. And if it does, I want to be prepared for it. I think you're exactly right, Jack. And I think it, that this is what makes sense to me. And this suits also fits my experience. Uh, and Kenny Polcari was saying the same thing. And everybody wants to look at us and go, oh, the old guys are so doom and gloom. The old guys don't get it. The old, no. Do you remember that that's what they said about Buffett in the 90s? They said, 
oh, poor Buffett doesn't get it. He's past his prime. This was in the 90s. This was 30 years ago, and Buffett was past his prime, and he just didn't get this dot-com stuff. Poor old Warren. Yeah. 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 Who's laughing now? He just doesn't get it, old guys. Well, you got a new crop of old guys, recently older guys. I don't think I'm old yet, Jack. No, no, you're not old. Neither am I'm I. Not, I'm not young. I got that part, folks. I know I'm not young, but I don't feel I don't feel old. Uh, I'm not uh, I'm not going bungee jumping anytime soon. But uh, <laughs> well, there was look, Jack, when I was 18, there was no question, no question in my mind that my legs would have stayed attached. Right now, you know, you, you want to jump, push me off a bridge with uh, rubber bands on my legs? Hell, the legs could come off. They're 60 years old. Come on. Well, uh, Michael, I'm at that point now where just like you taught me, if I don't get my nap in before dinner, if I'm playing golf, you know what I mean? It's yeah. kind of ruined my, it's ruined my day. So, it's you know, you got to do it. You got to do it. <laughs> Make yourself happy. So, Jack, finally, we're, we're out of time. Can you, uh, you you've looked in, in recent years and you were prescient on a couple of different investments in terms of, uh, uh, you even looked at some of the cyber uh, uh, yep, yep. Uh, currencies. You you looked at uh, gold and silver. You've looked at commodity. You've looked at all over the place. What are you seeing now? I'm seeing something that I'm a little concerned about, Michael. To say, I remember I was always taught to think that the, the six sigma thinking, think three standard yes. deviations in each way, and. You know, everyone's everyone's talking about AI, and I've been I've been talking about it too. I mean, I remember I've been excited about this. I've been watching it develop and everything else. But the one I think consequence of of this this digital revolution that we're going through is disintermediation. Um, you know, we we have to be very like careful. That. All right, yeah. we we saw things happen over the course of the last twenty years when the internet and the cloud uh, really came of, of age, and and that was really disintermediation and disinflationary pressure. You know, it, we went down for twenty years. Now all of a sudden we saw it pop up because of the pandemic. But what we can see, and, and I'll give you an, a real good example. You know, I, I was just abroad, you know, maybe about two or three months ago, and I remember seeing a McDonald's with two people working it. Really? And I thought to myself, this is fascinating. I yes. wonder if everyone's on break. And it wasn't. Everything was automated. Yes. Even the cooking was being automated at that point. Well, that yes. tells you, you know, where, where is this going? Where is AI taking us? It's taking us to the place where people just got to sit and do exactly what we were talking about, punch in something, and it gives us everything that we want. So, you know, it's going to change every industry, Michael. And we know that. It's got that kind of power. The real question is, does it disintermediate too many people where it creates structural unemployment, uh, which is really a Japanese 1990s scenario. Um, Does and it do it in a way that can still add to uh, productivity? Because when you look at GDP growth and we can't add to the population, we haven't had any productivity gains in hell, 15, 20 years. This could add the three or four percentage productivity gains back if it does what it could uh, in, that could more than make up for that decline in the number of workers, perhaps. And that would be a huge argument, according to Dr. Jay Bryson at Wells Fargo, to have uh, really rates much higher for much longer as a very normal condition in a higher, faster growing environment, even if it's only by a couple of points net. I mean, if you I think get a couple if... of points GDP growth net, get us keep at that 4% rate, that'd be profound. You know, productivity is going to go up. But remember, with that structural unemployment, Michael, come other yes. problems and, and other ancillary effects. So I, I think what we have to do is be very careful 
uh, about what happens and pay attention to input prices, pay attention to the dollar. Uh, these are things that are probably going to drive our markets, especially when we take them in relation to the other markets and we look at the relative value trade around the world. So, you know, for me, for me, you know, we've gotten to the point where we're, we're all excited about technology. Yes. And when everybody gets excited about something, chances yeah. are, as Berugian's law has told me time and time again, something yep. goes wrong. All something right. Something goes wrong. And, yep. and that's and that's so, you know, in the back of my mind, I've got that bit of pessimism out there uh, that says, oh, God, you know, I hope that, I hope I'm wrong. All right. Here's I hope the thing that worries me about this, Jack, uh, uh, that if we follow this out, let's let's play this out uh, towards one one direction of our six sigma and say, all right, productivity increases. The number of workers necessary decreases. People don't have jobs. That means that governments are going to have to figure out how to support those people more. And yeah. we are going to further destroy that uh, creativity in well, the I'm, process I, I, of job I, creation and technology that created right where we are. If you don't have the people who need more, who want more, who are aspirational, who are driven and who are dreaming, if it crushes the dreaming part of the economy, it crushes the economy. Look at China. Spot on, Michael. And, and what I wanted to add to what I had just talked about with the AI, uh, you know, digital revolution is the fact that, remember, we lived through a period where capital got freed up during the Reagan era. When I first came of age, remember, you know, we, we, rates were high. We were living in the, in the dark ages of Jimmy Carter, folks. All right. You know, and, and I can tell you that. And Michael will verify this. We were talking about, you know, interest rates at 20 percent. We were talking about taxes at 70 percent. Highest rate was 70 percent. Reagan took all of that down. He freed up the seed capital and was able to launch. We, we, they launched Microsoft, Oracle, into all those companies. These great companies were launched because capital was freed up, because government stepped back. Problem is that we're going to go through all this with government having a big footstep, all right, right on our throats. They've already started yes. these, these last couple of years. So that's the issue. I don't see a solution out there. If we had somebody that was freeing capital up and had policies, you know, then that we could embrace that are pro-market, that are free market, it'd be so much different. But but that's that's the issue, Michael. We're running into this without that type of mentality. And and to be honest with you, with a generation that doesn't understand, you know, the the the, the free market thinking, you know, the, the Chicago school of thought. Yeah, I I I could not agree more. Uh, Jack Barugian is the chairman of the Global Smart Commodity Group, our great friend for many years, uh, my much older friend. Uh, <laughs> you know, always, always, always happy to hang around with older people like you and Kenny. Uh, makes me feel a little. And just so I don't know if you know this, but uh, Ron and Sana's birthday is right after Kenny's by a couple of days. Well, the problem with Ron and Son is when we, we used to do TV together, we looked alike because I used to wear glasses. So, you know, people would go, hey, you guys look like twins up there. Yeah, you look like twins up there. Have you tried to get a word in with Insana lately when you're on TV with him? <laughs> well, I haven't been on with him for a while, but but the reality is when he's talking, it is hard to talk, you know, but I mean, even when he was asking questions back in the old days. He's the best. He's just the best. Hey, Jack, thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure, Michael, anytime. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for another forecast as we cover Wall Street, Washington, and the world. We appreciate you being with us. I'm going to be uh, over in Europe for the next couple of three weeks. We will have some guest hosts here for you on the Farcast. I may be calling in with a report or two, seeing, uh, giving you the uh, price of dinner and wine uh, in Spain. Uh, I'll give you the on, the on the ground, man on the street report. Otherwise, stay safe, stay healthy, 
God bless you all. And I truly mean this. This isn't my throwaway line, folks. God bless America. God bless this wonderful country. Uh, keep it safe and keep it growing and keep it that shining city on a hill. We should be that example and we should aspire to be a better example, even than we have been in the past, a better example for future generations and the other citizens around the world. Uh, I really mean it. So God bless. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. That's a wrap for this week. Thanks for being with us. We hope you enjoy the show as much as we enjoy making it for you. We'll be back with you next week with an abbreviated Labor Day episode. And later in September, join us as Jen Laventhal guest hosts. The podcast is produced by Michael Barr and Harry Jennings and comes to you weekly on all major podcast platforms, including Google, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Please share it with your friends and colleagues. As we begin our sixth season this autumn, thanks to all of our listeners and the roster of guests we've had over the last six years. We love hearing from you, and you can reach us at hjennings at farmiller.com. Have a great holiday weekend. We'll be back with you next week on The Farcast. Wall Street, Washington, and the world. Farm Miller in Washington is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. All information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC have not independently verified the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC and any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties, expressed or implied, as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC and any of its affiliates assume no liability or any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to the information. This podcast and the materials contained herein were created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Bar Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented in any way to any entity as tax or legal advice. Clients are urged to consult their tax and or legal advisors for related questions.